Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Okay, so my guest today on the Cappuccino podcast, because today's podcast is actually more about you, the listener, rather than us as guest and host. So, as Sean Tag, he is a well, amongst other things, he's been a lifeguard, he's been a PE high school teacher. In 1996, he started a career in high performance sports uh, at the Sydney City Roosters, which I have to say, as a card-carrying member of the South Sydney Rabbitohs Club, I find appalling. He had a performance at London Broncos, Fulham Football Club. Uh, he's had roles with the English Football World Cup squad. He's had roles with Netball Queensland, Auckland uh, Football Club, Harlequins, London Irish Rugby Union Football Club, Surf Life Saving Australia, and that's just some of them. In 2010 to 2013, he led the high-performance program for Adelaide United. He's currently the lead uh, strategic and operational delivery manager for, I'm going to say, physical education and wellness, the wellness team at the New Zealand Police. He's a recognised international specialist in the professional high-performance sports and human performance development in law enforcement. Whew, a lot of qualifications there, my friend. Well done, you. So I don't know if you've heard the podcast before, but uh, we start off with a speed round. So what's the biggest bullshit excuse when it comes to health? Haven't got time. Um, uh, work's too busy. Uh, I'm actually okay. I don't need to worry about that at the moment. Um, and ultimately, I think the biggest bullshit excuse, mate, is that, um, uh, especially for males, we're too proud and actually, we need to actually park that and be a bit humble. Yeah. Uh, the most freakish athlete you've ever worked with is who? Solomon Homono. There you go, yep. One sport I can't stand is what? Just don't say ice hockey, Sean, please. Oh, no, I love ice hockey. Gold. Um, oh, that's a tough one, because I yep. love every sport. There you go. Oh, we'll leave it at that then. Last book you read was what? what? Um, good to great. Yep, okay. Physically I can't, but I wish I could, play or do what sort of physical feat. So I know, for instance, that Michael Jordan could never spin a basketball on his finger and he could never ever dunk left-handed from underneath the basket and it used to drive him insane. What's the one thing you can't do? I can't skip. Water ski. There you go, perfect. What did COVID look like for you when you had that COVID lockdown period going on? Because obviously you've got lots of staff who are out and about doing physical training with cops and doing stuff. So you guys kind of got put on halt. So what did you do for your mental health, your physical health, and that of the team when that all happened? Yeah, there's a couple of things we did there, mate. One, from my perspective, um, I got up every morning and went running. Yep. I also, from my mental health, ensured that I had breakfast, lunch and dinner every day with my kids and that was probably the highlight of that whole experience to, to share the, the food together, to talk about a day to discuss things which we don't do in our normal busy, busy lives and then from a team perspective we got really tight and really close because we had lots of time to discuss um, you know, ideas and concepts that we've always wanted to develop all of a sudden you've got this time to spend talking together about it Yeah. Um, found a lot of the team because obviously they're all spread over the country um, connected really well um, because everyone was at home everyone was was on zoom or on, on, <laughs> on webex yeah zoom fatigue it's a real thing they tell me wellness what does it look like to you because it's such a fluffy term you talk to some people about wellness 
and straight away they go, oh, no, look, mate, I don't do meditation, I don't do yoga, so I'm not really interested in that wellness crap. But then if you say to them, hey, what do you do? Oh, I do CrossFit three times a week, and what, was well, that wellness? So what does wellness look like to you? It, for me, it's about people identifying what's their thing. And I agree totally with what you just said there is, for example, for me, um, I don't really get into the meditation. It just, I, I do that as a byproduct of when I might be running, but yeah. actually I can't get into that space. Yeah. And then I recognize as well for some people when they get into that space and do their meditation, they get really good benefits from that. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing with wellness is actually identifying that there is a wellness need. Yeah. I really think that people have to be open and honest and not hide from the, the reality. Yeah, yeah. So if I asked you what your health regime looks like, because lots of people will look at you and go, strength and conditioning coach, you know, he'll be doing like seven different sh- sessions a week and even that. It's the same with cops. You know, we get this thing of, oh, hey, you'll be at the gym every spare second you get. Not true. Yeah. Uh, just physically you can't do it. So what is your health and sort of mental well-being look like in a week if we started from this week? So from this week, so one thing I do do, and, and uh, I'm, I'm just talking a bit about meditation, I actually really align with some of the practices of, of mindfulness, Yep. but more the practical aspects of that. So one of the things I do every morning is I look at the colour of the sun and the sky, and I try to pick it as I'm going to work, I stand by my car before I jump in the car and go to the craziness of driving off to work, and I look at the sky and I just kind of just ballpark that and sometimes it might only be for 10 seconds sometimes I'll give myself a few minutes um, I find that really grounds me yep. in the day and just gets me back into okay this is this is the day this is what the day starts like um, throughout the day a big focus for me is um, my nutrition I find when you eat well you think well yep um, so throughout the day being really mindful about what the nutritional intake's like uh, is it healthy when you're making those unhealthy choices, well, there's a reason for that. Um, and then a big one for me is walking. Because it's obviously in an office-based job now. Yeah. I try to walk as much as I can. So I've introduced a lot of people to my concept of the walking phone call <laughs> and the walking meeting. Yep. So if I can have a meeting and walk, I will do that um, and try and get those steps up. And then the afternoons is always about trying to get out and do some physical activity, whether it's a swim, a paddle on the ocean, a run, uh, a walk with the kids around the golf course, whatever it is, trying to get that outdoor um, exercise activity going on. Um, And another big part of that is the evening, is trying to get that time with the family where you do just stop and listen. Yeah. This is one of the things we don't do often enough is is ask people really good leading questions in the family and then sit and listen Mm -hmm. instead of being transactional. Yeah, or, yeah, hey, that sounds really great. Um, can you just, I'm just, he's just about to take the goal kick. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, what do you think is the biggest hurdle to people getting started on the journey to health? Because <clears throat> as police officers, most of us have had that drive to join the police. So we've gotten physically fit for that. We realise that it is part of our job to be fit, and it is. It's a, a requirement that we must be fit, which I completely understand and get. Um, but for a lot of people there, it's like, oh, you know, I could never do that. I'm like 20 kgs overweight. So what do you think the biggest issue for people just getting started with their health? I think actually stop putting the excuses there. Yeah. And we've all done it. Yep. We've all looked in the mirror and went, oh, I'm okay. And the scales are telling me I'm okay. and But actually, you know, you're not. You're yep. lying to yourself. Yeah. And 
And then the, once that realisation comes in that actually, no, this isn't okay and I need to fix it, it's then being honest with yourself and challenging yourself to fix it. Mm-hmm. Setting that plan, being really um, disciplined. And if you look at our people in police, they are disciplined. Mm. They are. They're, and all of them have got a very similar um, uh, intrinsic quality, which is to help others. Mm. But actually, you need to help yourself first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I look at the, the, the commissioner's um, priority, you know, be first, then do. Help yourself first. Identify that you need to work on this yourself. Mm-hmm. Be disciplined. Put yourself first to get it right. Because then once you've got yourself right, you can go and help the others. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes we beat ourselves up too much as well. Because there's lots of people I know who do maybe three or four runs a week. And then when I say to them, what have you done? They're like, oh, not much. I've just gone for three runs this week. And, you know, I should be doing more. I'm not blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well... If you compare that to other people, that is actually quite a lot. You're doing quite good. And to be honest, you're in your mid-40s, so that's a fairly good effort. Yeah. Um, is it diet or is it exercise? You know the old 80-20 rule? They say it's 80% diet, 20% you do at the gym. So from your experience, what do you think it is? I think a lot of it is to do with diet and the food you eat, um, the quality of the food you eat. And I think that the exercise part of it is little and often regularly. Mm. Rather than big massive sessions getting out regularly and often you'll get way more bang for your buck yeah takes the pressure off as well mm. you haven't got an hour but you've got 15 minutes then 15 minutes is fine yeah what you can do when you can do it um and then i suppose the other part i'd throw into that is is just being on top of your your warrant of fitness checks for your health yeah uh what's the one aspect of performance that lets most people down when they come to join the police as applicants like if you had to look at the PAT and the PCT, it's their cardiovascular fitness. Yeah. And and to be honest, it's everyone that we uh, I suppose that that doesn't pass our physical standard. It is to do with the run. The thing about running is once you start doing it, you get better at it. Mm. And the more you do of it, the better you get at it. Yep. And to a then then there is a there is a, a tipping point where you actually get quite exceptional. Yep. Um, but the one thing that you can't get away from is if you don't do it, you will not improve. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there seems to be that thing of uh, talking to a lot of recruits in my 25 career, a 25 year career. That thing of oh, I've never actually been able to do the time for the run. I've always been like 10 seconds out. And I'm like, mate, don't do it because you are not going to be able to drag 10 seconds out on the day. Um, so I can say to our pers- prospective applicants when we do uh, recruitment evenings with them, is it? Passing the police physical is not difficult. They've given you all the answers to the test. Um, it would be like me turning up at um, somewhere like the Rabbitohs, for instance, and saying, here's how you win a grand final, here's the recipe, all you've got to do is do that. Every club in the world would be doing it. Um, but, yeah, you just you can't leave it the chance, can you? Why do you think that is? Why do you think it is such a huge issue with that cardiovascular thing and the fact that the running? Because, I mean, look, let's be honest, I know we have a few, but we don't have too many people struggle with a PCT because that's a skill set as is running so why do you think the running is such a problem do you think it's a, a head game a physical game both people aren't putting in the because let's be honest you have to put the time out on the roads to get it done it's you can't sort of fake it and jump on a mountain bike so what, what do you think it is I think some of our ap- recruit applicants are screaming at us that they don't have the motivation and the ability to do what we need them to do to be police officers yeah and, and their inability to actually get out and do the 
let's call it the physical training uh, that's needed to pass the test, yep. is them actually showing to us that actually this isn't the right organisation for them. Yeah. And, and one of the things we probably don't do as an organisation is actually listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is about motivation. If, if, if I said to you that if you went and did this for an hour every morning in, in 18 months from now, you could be playing for the Rabbitohs and that's your passion. Yep. That is your passion to be in that squad. Yep. And I guarantee if you do this every day for the next 12 months or 18 months, you will be there. If you really want to do that, you do it. Yep. Not wrong. That'd break your heart as a rabbit, as a rooster's man, though. Um, for many who used to be sporty or fit, a lot of us have, at some stage, like you've said before, have fallen off the wagon, and there seems to be a real hesitancy to start again. Um, it could be kids. It could be um, you're in a new relationship. It could be the fact you've just gone back to shift work. But there seems to be this real hesitancy to, to start again. Why? Two questions for you. Why do you think that is? And two, what's the best way to break the ceiling on that? Because, I mean, there's some guys I've known that could run easily. If I said to them, hey, we've got to do a half marathon after a night shift. Yeah, no worries, good as gold. And I see them sort of seven, eight, nine, ten years later and say, hey, mate, we're just going to go out for a sort of quick three-minute jog. Nothing major, just, oh, mate, I couldn't even get between two lampposts at the moment. Um, what's the best way to break the ceiling on it? <sighs> I think the first thing there is to actually, again, going back to what I said before, be honest. Yeah. Be honest that things have regressed, and and once you've been honest, it's it's like any of your any of your um, your flaws in life. You know, you you've got to be honest with yourself first. Once you have done that, then you can start putting together the good plan. Um, the other part to that is don't don't expect so much of yourself early on. Mm. Give, be be kind to yourself and allow yourself just to find little things that can be achieved. Mm-hmm. But also being really, really honest about you're going to do it each day. Yeah. Um, so one of my staff, for example, is their goal is to is to clock up over fifteen thousand steps every day for three hundred sixty five days. All right. Okay. And every day they know that that's their they've got to do it. Yep. And if it means that in the evening they're at home up and down the corridor for two hours to to finish off those steps that's their goal and and it it, it sounds like an astronomical number of steps but actually if you get into it during the day you, you nail it yeah yep yeah you do so you set yourself that goal and if it's going to be i'm going to do exercise every day for 10 minutes it really doesn't take much to do 10 minutes of exercise no. every day yeah exactly um as we age, our exercise habits change. So I looked at mine last night horrifically and went, right, so I started off playing soccer, then I went to rugby, then I played Gaelic football, then I went to martial arts, then I played indoor netball, then I did yoga, then I did martial arts again. Is something better than nothing? I, I kind of know the answer to this already, but something is better than nothing, isn't it? I mean, even if you've taken up, let's say, lawn bowls, it's not the world's most active game, but you're out, you're getting some sunshine, you're doing some exercise... You might not think you're doing much, but you're actually doing a couple of lunges there when you're rolling the bowls and everything else. So is the answer get out and just do something? Get out, do something. Do something that's multi-movement, that the body is getting exposed to all kinds of different activities. Yeah. But also go and do something that you used to love. If you love surfing, get back into it. Now, if you can't get back into stand-up surfing, get into boogie boarding, get into body surfing. Yeah. You go and do the things that you've that you've loved that also connect you back to, I suppose, back to your, your past. Yeah. And, and brings happy memories to yeah. you. 
really important that when you're doing those activities, at the end of it, it also reinforces those happy memories from from the years gone. For lots of guys, they lose the competitive aspect of an exercise or a sport, and that's the death knell. It's gone. Um, how do you break out of that mindset? I'm well and truly out of it. I'm I'm hitting fifty this year, so I'm kind of like I'm not going to say my best days are past me, but I actually look at it and go, look. Honestly, if I wanted a medal, I could just go down to the engravers and spend 15 bucks and get myself a really good one and call myself the world champion on something. It's not a drama. But for some guys, they really lose it when they when they lose that competition. How? What's the best way for people to break out of that? Because I'm sure that you've had guys in rehab, for instance, in your job as a performance coach who want to get back into the team as quickly as possible, but you've actually got to rein that competitive nature in and say, mate, just one foot in front of the other yeah definitely I'd say first of all especially for our police people getting back into your into your masters sports yeah and finding sports that you can get back into and enjoy but will give you that bit of camaraderie and and, and team building Um, and as well as as feeling there's a bit of a competitive element to it but it's a it's a light touch competitive element (laughs) yeah Um, and then the other part to that is that for some people, that, that competition, especially for athletes, i found, in that was part of their self-identity mm-hmm. and also a huge part of their mental wellness mm-hmm. and, and their connection with the team, the coach, their uh, connection to their family outside of sport because that, that was so much a part of it. Yep. You know, so that when that didn't exist, they really, they really struggled with that, the, the, the connection and the... And the um, and the character side of, of who they were. So men in particular are absolutely shocking when it comes to when they hit their golden years, they're sort of, they're done. As we've said before, you know, the kid, the wife, any excuse you want. Um, why do you think that is? And do you think it's, because I know that you do lots of stuff on your stats and we have an ageing police force as well. Do you think that's getting better with the exercise for older guys? Or do you think it's getting worse I think it's getting worse. Yeah. I think we're becoming more and more sedentary as a as an organisation and, and as a population in general. Mm-hmm. And I think also for guys in particular, they they don't flick the switch as quickly or as as early on getting in front of that um, that midlife kind of change. Yeah. And um, and regression. As much as our female staff and females in general, females are far more in tune with their health needs, their wellness needs, and their exercise needs. Yeah. Um, and for guys, we really, really need to um, before park park the ego. Yeah. Get on the humility bus. Yep. And start actually getting in front with your your health. Do you think that's that thing of? Um, some people haven't realised that they're not 26 forever. And when they turn like 52 and, you know, oh, geez, I did, I can't remember, I think I did like 107 push-ups on testing day uh, for our PAT. Now, I probably could be out 50 or 60 now. 107, I'd probably have to train for a little bit. Um, but do you think that some people just don't do that? Because I see some, some of my mates on Facebook, you know, oh, I'm going back and exercising. I'm going to do a CrossFit class. And I'm like, mate, you're in your mid-40s. That's possibly no disrespect to people who do crossfit one of the worst things that you could do you might be better off just sort of starting walking around the block once or twice a night or something else like that do you think we just kind of forget like you say we just don't want to swallow the ego and if so 
why is it so bloody difficult? Is it because we're bullheaded? Is it because we're stupid? Or is it just because we sort of go, oh, I'll pick up from where we left off? I think we're, we're, we're scared of showing vulnerability. Yeah. And I think we, um, we see that as a sign of weakness. We're actually, it's a massive sign of strength. Mm. And your ability to acknowledge that you, you have let things really go and but you are the person that actually can take control of that mm-hmm. um, you know one of the ones that that really um, I'm quite passionate about is talking to people about what health checks they're doing especially especially males that are in their 40s and 50s what are your health checks what are you doing and, and when you start to hear that they've not had a prostate check the whole time and they're now 51 I actually start to challenge them a little bit with the realization of what could happen if you don't get on top of that yeah and, and give them some examples of stories that I've got of, of staff that hadn't and and wished they had it. Yeah. But when when the big C got hold of them, there was no turning back from mm-hmm. there. Yep. Um, and use a little bit of that um, confrontational message to get people to go to their doctor. Yeah. And that was actually, it's almost like you looked at my next question. So why are men so crap at looking after their health and i mean not their fitness but their health so i spoke to a lady last friday said oh my husband hasn't been to a doctor for 11 years because he is just terrified of the prostate check and i said he does realize it's now a blood test day and she went oh and i'm like perhaps that's something you might want to tell him um do you think it's just that thing of again you know oh should be right. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm as good as gold. I, I played footy when I was at school. Um, I'm a rough and tough police officer. Yeah, sure. I know that I'm sliding off the pace a little bit when it comes to keeping up with some of our 27 and 28 year olds. I'm sort of maybe five or six steps short, uh, but I can still kind of almost keep up with the boys. Do you think it's just that attitude, or because I mean, look, let's be honest. We've had this conversation before. There's some guys that will get their car checked out at the mechanics more often than they do their own body. And that, to be honest, that's a bloody disgrace. Yeah. Yep. And, it, and it's, it's pride. Yep. Um, it's, it's fear. There is fear. Yep. There's genuine fear of, of what the GP may do or might tell you. Um, there's the, the perceived um, embarrassment of what, what some of the tests might be. Um, but the reality of the of the tests are totally different to, to the perception that people might have, yeah. um, and it it's a real worry when you talk to guys that some of them may not have seen the doctor in twenty years. Mm, it's just it's like go and get your blood pressure done. Just start that part yeah. of it. Work on some of the fundamental bits. Um, and as you just said, you you wouldn't leave your cars servicing that long. No. Yet you think it's okay for yourself. Yeah, it's. Just crazy. If somebody came and saw you and said, hey, Sean, you're a strength and conditioning coach. I want to be able to run 5K in four months' time. Where would you say is the best place for them to start? I would start with a a day-on, day-off jog-walk program. Yep. On the day-off, that's when you might be doing some bike riding or swimming or some general body weight-type strength to, to get the body back into tick. And I'd start off with really simple goals. Um... You might start with 10 minutes of walk-jog, which is a minute walk, a minute jog. Mm-hmm. And you do that every second day. And, and you and you be kind to yourself when the days that you're not feeling you did a really good job. Yeah. 
um, lo and behold what will happen is after about three weeks your body will start to really adapt and all of a sudden you'll start doing three minutes of straight jogging and one minute walking yep. and you'll start doing it for 20 minutes instead of 10 minutes because you feel like you can do a bit more and then eight weeks after that you'll start running continually for about 12 minutes yep. and you start to get close to your yeah, you two are. and a yeah, half yeah. kilometers straight and yeah. then all of a sudden things Boom. start changing yeah. uh is it important to have goals when you train for me personally my goals and i've got goals when i train uh be it in jiu-jitsu or in the gym or something else that's how i view my competition as a an older what is it you guys as the pt staff course more mature uh males yeah uh that's what i view as my competition is the goals i've set for myself um is it is it important to have goals or is it okay just to go to the gym for 20 minutes a day and just sort of waffle no i think biggest thing with motivation is, is the, the research is really clear about that is, is goals are essential yep. the goals have to be also self-driven goals they can't be what someone else has told you as your goal mm-hmm. you have to come up with your own goals you also have to have your own um, I suppose what I call your, your cutouts so if you've set yourself a goal but on that particular day you're really aware that things aren't going as you planned then you have to have a certain level where you go well, once I've got this achieved today I've achieved enough. Mm. I may not have finished what I planned or prescribed for the day, but I've achieved what I needed to as my minimum standard. Um, One of the goals I often use for a lot of people, especially on that motivation piece, is you never cancel your exercise or training session until you've put your training shoes and your training gear on. Yeah. So if you say for yourself you're in your your blue uniform, you go into it and you you know you're going to do some exercise this afternoon, you do have the right to call off that training session, but only once you've got out of your uniform and you've put your training kit on. Nice. Yep. Because when you've put your training kit on, you've then gone, no, I'm still not right. I still actually don't want to do this today. Yeah. You've made a really good decision. Yep. But it's really easy to make that decision while you're sitting in your uniform. You yeah. haven't finished your shift. Yep. Your brain can just go, yeah, I'm not done. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Uh, I remember reading somewhere with Arnold Schwarzenegger would put in his diary he had an appointment with let's say for instance John Smith and that was his training session so that when somebody said to him hey Arnold on Wednesday afternoon what are you up to and he'd check in his diary and say oh no I've got an appointment with John Smith boom he said I was I was always there and he said there were some days I didn't want to turn up he said but I saw it in my diary I'd get changed and by the time I got changed I'm like yeah I'm into it um how important is it that your goals are realistic as a middle-aged male because I know that there's lots... I'm the same age as Daniel Craig, not that you'd see it, but um, let, let's be realistic. Uh, no disrespect to Mr. Craig, but he's got personal trainers, he's got nutritionists, he's got private chefs. He lives a fairly good lifestyle, probably better than your average New Zealand police officer. There's no way that I'm ever going to look like Daniel Craig, for instance. Um, the fitness levels may be the same, but it's important that my goals are realistic for me. And I think sometimes guys let that cosmetic aspect of fitness get in the way, if you know what I mean. Um, you can still be fairly fit and not have a six-pack, let's be honest. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's all about what you actually want to achieve from your fitness and from your, and from your overall health and wellness. And you know, Daniel Craig, he's got hours a day where he can train. Yeah. He's got, he, he, that's his full-time job. Yeah. And, but also, what is it we're trying to achieve from it? And isn't it just the feeling of, of happiness and health? Yeah. And as long as you feel that, it doesn't really matter what the rest of the world you look like to the rest of the world. Yeah. 
long as you feel that you're yeah. healthy and happy, yep, that's the most important thing. Yeah, not wrong. Um, there are books. There's diets. There's keto diets. There's intermittent fasting. There's calorie counting. Is there an easy way to keep track of your diet or just do it right? I mean, if I said to you, Sean, I'm really struggling with some of the stuff I'm eating. What's the best way? I've heard some people say the best way to keep track of it is never eat anything out of a packet and that way you'll know you're only ever eating good stuff. Um, I've heard other people say, oh, mate, you need to get a calorie counter and go under XYZ calories. So if somebody says to you, hey, Sean, I want to lose 10 kgs, what would you suggest to them as sort of because I mean there are it's a multi-billion dollar industry that health industry and every book you read has another piece of advice so where do we go what do we do with it I I first of all would for our people suggest get onto the wellness hub yep there is some amazing information there around nutrition and, and different types of um, eating plans and so forth yeah and the other thing I'd say it, it is definitely horses for courses what might work for me will not work for you. No, exactly. And, vice yeah. Versa. Yeah. and sometimes it's a bit of trial and error and being honest. And you might trial something and go, this is not working. But you've got to give it a chance. Yeah. You can't just, but you've also got to put effort in. Um, but it may not work. So therefore, you might try something different and get a huge amount of success. Um, my go-to for a number of years was to just to manage those calories each day and, and keep on top of that. Yeah. Um, I've, found, I've found very much so as I'm now in, into a, a, the good part of my middle age. <laughs> the, um, uh, uh, how do they describe it in Japanese culture? Uh, they they don't actually do age. They do it as seasons. So uh, we are samurais in autumn. Do you like that? You can I keep like that. that. Yeah, there I you like go. That one. There you go. It's nice. Yeah. So I've moved to a um, more of a controlled fasting diet each day. Yep. And have been blown away with how much energy, how also how. Um, much better my selection of food is every day because mm-hmm. now that food is a very limited period of time I'm choosing really wisely what goes in at that time yeah uh, and I found that really has worked the research out there says that for some individuals it's the worst possible uh, method of, of, of nutritional intake yeah because that their hormonal system won't allow it to work so it's, it's a really complex um, area the one thing I would say is it, using good evidence not just dr google mm-hmm. so wellness hub is our is our very accurate um research-based and evidence-based information f- for us uh, on what is good practices in that space yeah now for lots of us myself included we've spent time going to see nutritionists and trying to get a diet right and everything else and no disrespect to any nutritionists that are listening but some of them have got some really amazing ideas that are incredibly hard to pull off from the back of a squad car, uh, particularly after you've done an 11-hour shift, it's really difficult to get a uh, roasted Coomera salad, for instance, with lots of kale and spinach in it, uh, from the boot in the back of my bag that just looks like it's been run over. Um, so what's the what's the best thing to do there? Is it to go and see a nutritionist? Is it to use, like, if you remember the police, use the wellness hub? Or is it just to have some really good short, sharp, tricks that you've got up your sleeve where you go actually I'm going to have this so for me it's I always have uh, and no advertising intended here uh, a one square meal bar in the back I've got a banana and I've normally got a bottle of water as well and I'm like you know what that's probably pretty good I'm not going to be able to do the Coomera salad today Um, is that how you would work it if you were a police officer if I said to you mate we're going to do a 14 hour shift you've got to bring some food what would you be bringing do you think 
Yeah, I would. I would first of all be planning your um, your week a bit like a, an athlete would in some ways. So you yeah. think about when you come to work, you're here to do a, a pretty specific performance related job. Yeah. Um, so a, an athlete, for example, would would prepare their meals for a couple of days in advance. Mm-hmm. So when they come in, they've got what they need and they know when they're going to have it and it's all timed out. Yep. And they're not going, oh, I'm just going to run down to the shop and grab something because I need to. Yep. They're there all day doing their job, a bit the same. Um, where you can, making really simple meals that if you don't eat it that day, it can be eaten the next day. Yeah. So nothing's going to go off, nothing that needs to be necessarily kept cold. Yeah. You know, like a, a quinoa salad with lots of... Um, raw veg and, and, and bits of fruit thrown in there maybe. Yep. Um, you know, having in the back of the in the back of your kit bag a um, a tin of tuna and some vitawits. Yeah. You know, something that you can quickly just go to that's gonna sustain that, that need for, for energy or food. Mm-hmm. Um, avo- and avoiding the simple I'm gonna stop and get some, some food quickly from a service station. Yeah. That that's the that's the downfall. Yep. Um so having a selection of things in your kit bag that you know aren't going to go off, that you have you know why you've put them there, and then having your plan of when you're going to actually consume them. Yeah. Now, as police officers, we face, uh, when you look at our life expectancy, it is shorter than most. Um, um, let, let, let's not tell any lies about it. What's some of the biggest health issues that we have as police officers, like I know, for instance, talking to friends overseas who are police officers and uh, uh, what we call PTIs in the police, um, knees and backs are always a problem for police officers, as our fingers because of what we're doing. Um, so what are some of the biggest issues that we face as New Zealand police health-wise? I would say there's two parts. There's the internal health system. So our cardiovascular fitness is, is always going to be under strain. Mm-hmm. And part of that is the stress of the job. Yep. Um, you know, our people are going out there and protecting everyone, mm-hmm. and part of that comes in a, a level of responsibility and absorption of, of the of the good and the bad of society. Yeah. And you have to hold that. Yep. Yeah. You can't relief it. Just no. you can't get rid of it, so it sits inside you. Yep. And that is something that really um, impacts on on the cardiovascular system and the and the health of that system. Not not from a fitness point of view, but from a, a well well-being um so getting on top of those areas that could then also co- uh, compound and result in a, a cardiovascular incident yeah and then the other part to it is you can't underestimate how much your body is under stress being under load constantly yeah so i look at you sitting here in your BAS <laughs> yeah. and all your kit Yep. Right? And every time you get up and down, up and down, you wear that all day, yep. and you do that every day mm-hmm. for numbers of years, the body has to absorb that, that load and that stress. Yeah. So without keeping your body strong, it's harder for the body then to deal with it. Yeah. And I, researching some of the stuff for this podcast, I looked at the mortality rate of first responders on the job. And it's actually a lot more than what you would think it would be. It's, um, and there's some parts of America where they actually have more first responders die of natural causes while they're on duty as opposed to accidental death. So, yeah, yeah it's certainly something worth looking out for. Now, um, there are loads of policed physical training tests around the world. The Canadian one's different to ours. The Met Service is different to ours. The Mounties is different to ours. What's one of the reasons, and I know that you know because you've gone through it and had a look at it recently, um, what's one of the 
one of the reasons it makes ours one of the better ones, do you think? I would say, first of all, it's it's part of our culture mm-hmm. of police. Um, secondly, it's it's just an expectation that it will be done. It's it's not a, a voluntary or optional um, uh, activity. And it's a combination of, of the organisation and the staff buying in on it together. Mm-hmm. Now, you're always going to have your people that don't like it and you're going to have your lovers. Yeah. There's always going to be that. I, I look at something probably with a, a broader lens. So when I, when I meet with colleagues in Australia or from overseas and we talk about fitness, some of those organisations can't deploy a majority of their staff because of obesity. Mm. So, for example, one jurisdiction that I know of, anywhere up to a quarter of their staff can't deploy mm-hmm. because they are so obese they actually can't come into the stations yeah because they couldn't get out of the fire exits yeah and those organizations would do anything they could just to have a fitness standard that encourages staff to maintain a level of fitness to deploy yeah yeah and like you say i think a lot of our staff in particular we do uh, for the listeners we do a physical competency test every two years now last time i did mine i was <clears throat> i think it was about 28, 29 seconds slower than when I did it at police college. And I beat myself up about it a little bit, but then I sort of went, you know what, that was, when I did it at police college, that was like 25 and a half years ago. It's probably okay, I'm, I'm okay with this. Um, do you think a lot of the anxiety that comes around and uh, for us as police officers doing that test and, you know, oh, I'm not going to be able to meet the standard I had at police college, it is actually just a matter of swallowing your ego and saying because as you and I have spoken about this before you know you and I both know police officers who are in their 60s who are jumping over an eight foot wire fence and they're going under hurdles and everything else and if that was our grandfather for instance we were looking at him going geez he's as fit as a fiddle um are we too tough on ourselves yes yeah. absolutely yeah absolutely we, we we think that we can still do things that we could do when we were 21 yeah and and with the current um, physical tests that we use for the New Zealand police, we allow um, times to increase as we get older. Yeah. Because as as we get older as a population, we do we we don't we're not as fit as we were when we were 21. Yeah. Um, as a general across the board, we would be one of the fittest and healthiest and strongest police forces in the world or police jurisdictions mm-hmm. in the world, um, because we maintain this physical standard. But as a as a group of staff, we beat ourselves up trying to meet unrealistic um, preconceived expectations when all we need to do is deliver a level of physicality in the test that means that we've got the ability then to go and police our population because mm. ultimately we just need to be have a, an average fitness that is above the average fitness of the people we protect yeah because I mean I don't think lots of people realize this but uh, like for instance the PAT when I joined John Olamu was rest of soul was very big in the rugby but I used to say to the kids I do the 2.4k run faster than Jonah Lombard does it when he turns out for testing. Now, obviously we didn't know about Jonah's health issues then, but I was also beating a number of like the super rugby players when they did their 2.4. So I said, it's not that I'm that fit, I'm just a little bit more fitter than what they are. Do you think we just have that constant battle with ourselves? Because like you said, we've just got to be fitter than, than most. We don't have to be a pro athlete. Um, I mean, look, let's be realistic about it. The chances of a 50-year-old turning up and doing a PCT test in under two minutes is pretty marginal, isn't it, to be fair? Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be really on, 
an exceptional level of, of physical training. Yeah. And consistent with that, and 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 you would be involved in a hell of a lot of stuff outside of work. Yep. In that physical space, um, what we do need to have is enough physical ability to be safe when we deploy. Yeah. And that's the ultimate: is that when you deploy, you've got enough physical ability to to deal with the rigors that are being asked of you. Yep. Or for you to be able to get to safety if needed, yeah. To then come back in and redeploy. How much of that is um, backing up on the muscle memory that we've learnt in our twenties and our thirties? So, like we've said, our exercise begins to sort of slowly alter, change. Maybe it's something completely different. But how much of that is actually backing up on the muscle memory that we had when we were maybe like in my case in my mid twenties and joined, and going, okay, well. I certainly won't be able to do it like I could when I was 25, but the muscle memory's there and I know what's required of my body to do it. So I know that, for instance, if I have to run 100 metres, I'm going to be able to do it without snapping an Achilles or pulling a hamstring because, yeah. I'd say there's two parts to that. One, definitely the muscle memory. Um, we see a lot of our staff that come through the PCT test every two years who, who we all know just aren't... Um, Exercising. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. Just blatantly yeah, you can they're, see it a mile away. Yeah. They're just not. Yeah. Um, but they have been able to do these actions and activities either on the job or as part of our testing program for decades. Yep. Muscle memory kicks in. Yeah. Um, as well as that comes um, uh, the mental fitness mm -hmm. of being able to push your body knowing that you can. Mm hmm. Um, there's a ramification there. Yeah, we, those, those individuals have probably had a higher level of um, injury yes. potential because yep. they are right on the cusp of their yep. breaking line. Yep. The other part to that, and this is something that the organisation has always had an above average entry fitness level for to join our police. Mm -hmm. And even now, the last review we had done, our, our run standard is well above the expectations of most other physical cardiovascular tests of police in the world. Mm -hmm. So we've pre-selected people that have a higher genetic capability of strength and power and fitness. And, got, yeah, okay, and, yeah. and so those people that we selected 20 years ago genetically have a higher level. So even though they've regressed with their training and, and some are not training at all, genetically their body can produce a higher level yeah. than the person that has not done any training but has a lower genetic potential. Hmm, okay. Are uh, police physical tests, are they too easy are they just right or are they too tough because let's be honest every generation of cops that comes through does this thing and i say this now as a veteran uh oh geez you know the kids of today geez they've got it so easy you know the tests are back in my day we used to do this this and this and we don't do that anymore um you listen to some guys from the defense force for instance and they're like you know we were out running doing this um and we're doing that and you know oh geez the guys these days they've got it easy all they've got to do is this are they too easy? Are they too tough? Have they been altered? Are they smarter? Are they uh, building less resiliency? I think you can never ever get the standard right. Yeah. You're always working towards having the best standard and having the uh, an exceptional test, but the but philosophically you you will never find that. You have to keep working towards it. Yeah. And I think the test needs to ensure that you're not deselecting one area yep. and over-selecting in other. If our tests were too easy, everyone would get in, <laughs> but we'd have a hell of a lot of people that actually are unsafe in that environment. Yeah. If the tests are too hard and we're only able to 
select 10% of, of people that are applying, we're probably losing 50% of our best thinkers and, and people that actually bring another skill set, mm-hmm. not just the physicality. Mm-hmm. So you've got to marry those two expectations yep. and needs. Um, the best way I ever heard it explained to me once was um, uh, when I was working in, in the Premier League in football and, and Rory Hodgson said to me that every team needs to be made up of a, of, of a combination of soldiers and pianists. Yeah. Some people are experts at playing that piano and we need to have them. And some people are just experts at being soldiers and, and are physical and can do the, the yards. And if you've got too many of one, you will have a massive deficiency in what you can deliver on the field. Not wrong, not wrong. I won't ask you about the statue of Michael Jackson outside Fulham's ground. We'll just leave that for another day. We'll leave that alone. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Why the physical competency test every two years for police officers? Why not annually or every six months? So let's put it uh, in another perspective. As a sports team, your athletes turn up every year for pre-season testing. You know exactly where they're at because you can see they do their standard tests and you can go, gee whiz, Mr Smith, you clearly haven't been training off in summer with the program I gave you because it's evident you haven't met the marker. Uh, why is our test every two years and not every annual year? It's a question I very often get asked by the public, and I'm like, hmm. One part of it is the logistics of, of testing, let's just say, if we went annually, of testing 10,000 people a year, and the drain that has on on deployment numbers on a daily and weekly yeah. basis. Yep. So that's one consideration. Um, philosophically, I believe we should test more regularly mm-hmm. but maybe it's a combination of tests over the two years so it's not just the PCT every year it's the you know every six months there's a as the version of a test that that may be more focused on um, health wellness uh, it might be a strength test or a flexibility test and all those culminate every two years in a in bringing the whole thing together in that competency-based yep. assessment um, the other the other option there, and it's one that um, uh, corrections here in New Zealand use for their testing, is they use a, um, a light system, red, it's red, orange, green, and I can't remember what the final colour is. And what that means is that tells you when you're going to reassess. Right. So if you're a red, you get the red light, <coughs> yeah. uh, you're reassessing every six months. Right. Because you're just getting above the minimum line. Yeah. So if you allow things to drop off, you'll probably drop under it. If you get an orange, then we'll see you in a year's time. If you yep. get a green, we'll see you in two years' time. So therefore, then you're kind of making a, an evidence-based decision of when do you need to see that person again to determine are they still physically fit, capable. Yeah. And I would say you'd find that if we bought a system like that, and we'd probably find that more people would move want to move towards that orange system. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this every six months. I want to do it every year. Mm. Now, with a lot of training, the the barking dog, as I call them, the the PTI that used to just sort of yell and scream at you, you know, you'll get over that wall, otherwise my foot will go up your ass type stuff, has gone. Um, so PTIs have had to change the landscape on how they coach and train. Do you think it's uh, for the better or for the worse? Because I know that there are some people who will react to a sergeant major uh yelling and screaming at them on the on the ball and there'll be others who need the softly spoken person on the other side who just sort of says you know come on together as a team we can do this you just need to focus on what you're doing 
and let's get to it. I look back on some of the PTYs I've had in the police and I've sort of had both ends of the spectrum. I think somewhere in the middle there fits for me personally. I, if a sergeant major starts off at me, I just sort of kind of go to sleep and yeah, carry on training and do my stuff. But So what, what works best, do you think? Yeah, I think um, our physical education officers from years gone by have come out of a, of a more military background into our organisation. Yeah. So they are a... Um, they're, they're a product of their environment mm-hmm. and they've come in here and obviously changed and morphed but there will still be those those uh, PTIs of the military type styles yeah um, more and more we've started to look at the people that we're in bringing into our physical education space who have got they've got almost the, the spectrum of, of tools mm-hmm. and know which one works for who yep so if they were working with you and they'd start off in that real neutral space but some some staff do want them to, to bark, bark, and they'll actually say, "Can you bark at me around the course?" Yeah. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. But not as the default. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. And then the other staff, so, some of our people have been so um, uh, hurt by some of that militaristic type PTI barking that they can't sleep for days before they come to our environment. Yeah. And we're trying to change that lens and, yeah. and actually explain to them the first. The first priority for us when someone comes to us is to ensure that they are safe and healthy and they leave us safe and healthy in physical and mentally. And then two, that they've achieved their purpose, which is to to pass our standards and and be be fit to deploy. Yeah. Now, with that, do you, to to help the staff with their anxiety, a a lot of the staff, I know, like you say, because I've seen, I can see guys going white before they go or... You know, I've got my PCT, I can perhaps ring up sick today and I'll, I'll do it next week or something. You can see the mind games they're playing with themselves. Um, like, for instance, when I joined, one of the things that we didn't do was a warm-up. That was very much, Sean, go and grab your gear and we'll be good to go in a minute or two. And now there's quite a long warm-up process. I, I know that the PTIs are busy talking to us and telling us how to do stuff and having a bit of a laugh and a joke as we go around as well. Is that all part of the landscape? It is. It's, it's getting people back into feeling confident about what they're about to go and do. Yeah. And considering we only do our competency-based test every two years, I can't even remember what I ordered at the shops last <laughs> yeah, week yeah. when I went shopping. Like, How can some people remember the nuances of those skills yep. you know, after two years? Like, You think about in the, in the police environment, when you go out to do your, your weapons training and so forth, mm-hmm. if you don't have that refresher, especially if you haven't been doing yep. it regularly, yep. you need that little refresher. It gives you that bit of confidence. It also re- reconnects the muscle memory yep. massively. Yeah. And and I'll say to people before they're about to do a skill, I'll say, well, how did you used to do this in the, in, you know, two years ago? And they'll go, I can't remember. Yeah. That's why we give them that opportunity because yeah. you don't want to be going at full tilt at 90% of your maximum heart rate and don't remember how to do the next skill. Yeah, you want to actually figure it out while you're fresh. Yep. It also gives the the, the person a bit of um, mental comfort that they've gone through the course, they know what they're about to do, and then when you hit go on them, they they know exactly where they're moving to. Yeah, because I've seen brain fade kick in because people are fatigued. You know, they've gone round the wrong cone or they've gone sort of. Oh, hang on. Oh, God, I was meant to go there, not here. Uh, and it clearly is brain fade because they're fatigued. So, yeah, like you say, I, I remember talking to, um, I was talking to Kama about it. She said, it's kind of us a little bit like 
establishing a roadmap for you so that you know exactly where you're going. Yeah. Now, there used to be a stereotypical police officer 40 years ago, above six foot, tall, fairly average size and weight. As a police force, we are certainly changing and we're getting more diverse. Uh, we have people from different cultures, we have different body types. Uh, for instance, I would have never been able to join in the 70s, I'm too short. Does that make it easier or harder for you and your team when you look at that big physical spectrum? Because it used to be uh, white male uh, with the odd ethnic group thrown in there, above six foot, um, probably get some knees and back problems, and they're probably normally good sports player, and we're done. Yeah, and we don't have that anymore, do we, to be fair? No, we, we, the, the, the size and the, and the demographic of our population is vastly different to, to what that, yeah. that was previously. I, I look at it this way, and it's it's an analogy. If if all the tools in your toolbox, are six foot tall, ex um, athletic, yeah. and 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 white male, then they're only going to see one version of a nail. Mm-hmm. So they're going to pick that hammer up and just keep using the hammer on the nail. Yeah. What you want to have is a vastly different array of tools in the toolbox, which is you know, you've got ten thousand staff. You want lots of different versions of that tool yep. and therefore then each of them will bring strengths and weaknesses yeah. and and you've got to balance that out and I suppose I come back to that analogy of, of Rory Hodgson's you know, if all of your um, tools are soldier like, then who's playing the piano mm-hmm. to show that, that artistic and, and graceful way of doing things as well not wrong. Now there are lots of new developments in policing to assist mental health and physical health and fitness and everything else um, in the time that you've been in the role and the time that I've been in the role. Apart from the New Zealand Police Wellness app, which you and I both agree is outstanding, um, what's the best one that you've seen for mental and physical health where you've gone, this is an absolute match winner? I think there's a couple there. One, one of the ones we've been doing lately with our um, physical education officers, and, and it sounds a little bit brutal, <laughs> but it's a it's a turn up the station and lock the door. Yep. And we work through that station floor with our blood pressure monitors, just taking people's blood pressure and having conversations about well-being. Mm-hmm. And it has absolutely been a groundbreaker because previously we used to advertise, we're coming to the <laughs> station, we're going to be here for six hours, we're going to have our our wellness testing going on and health testing going on and guaranteed those that were worried about it were not at the station yeah. that day yep. and the believers were lining up and what we were doing was we were doing all of that assessment and, and health testing on the population of our police who are very aware of their needs Yeah, and we're not getting the actual target audience <laughs> uh, so I would say the, the turn up and lock the station door has been a winner nice because we've actually caught the people that need the help and then had the conversation with them and been able to give them the advice go and see a gp we're not experts in no. in this yeah we're giving you an indication but what we can do is have a conversation with you about how important it is for you to go and see a gp yeah and i think some people look at like things like high blood pressure and for them it's like a death knell and to be fair most people have got high blood pressure uh, if they haven't exercised for a couple of months. I've had high blood pressure when I've been to see my doctor and my doctor's like, oh, we're going to keep an eye on that. I need you to come and see me three times in the next week. And, we'll, and I'm like, yeah, but to be fair, and I'm like, just like yeah, I said, I've just come off night shift and I've had two cups of coffee. Uh, so my, 
and she's like, oh, well, let's check it. We've checked it. The next one, I oh, know you're back in the normal. It's all good. We're, we're sweet. It's obviously just a, yeah, so you're right. Um, if you're going to give somebody some advice on joining the police and they said, oh, I want to be in the police for 25 years, what would be the advice that you'd give them for their physical and mental well-being? I would say for them to have, um, from, a, from a mental well-being perspective, to have a, a good, healthy lifestyle outside of police yep. that allows them to, to look at the world differently other than what they're seeing when they're on the job. Yep. The other part to it is to, to never... For them, exercise is part of their profession. Mm. They have to have this belief that the, the rest of their career exercise is just part of what is expected for them to be part of the organization yeah and if they have that mindset that i'm just going to continually exercise for the next 25 years not an exceptional level but at a level that's sustainable yeah and i never really ever drop off from that and they'll have a very 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 happy and successful and enjoyable career when you'll probably agree with me wholeheartedly on this i couldn't figure it out so that i'm going to throw it on as a question when people complained about COVID, about covid during lockdown and not being able to exercise get to the gyms did you do what i did and scratch your head and go seriously yeah, you can't be serious i can't I, I that's just not an excuse that i can cop yeah um, i think over covid i saw more people out walking and running than i have in the last 25 years yeah i saw middle-aged business women and men um, who probably would never have the time to exercise yep. going out. And you could see that it was a struggle for them. Yep. But every day they could get out there, they had time to go and do some exercise. Yeah. And you'd see them four weeks later and you're like, wow, they're running all right now. Yeah, yeah. You'd see them run past your house. Yeah. And I can't fathom that. And, and part of it as well is there's this real belief that you need to be in a gym to exercise or train. And I keep referring back to some of the greatest world champions in any sport you want to choose, whether it's an athletic-based or a team-based, um, you know, collision-based sport. They were developed not in great gyms. No. Some of them, a gym for them was a chin-up bar, some push-ups, yeah. and body weight. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, uh, I follow a guy on social media called Jocko Willink, who's an ex-Navy SEAL commander, and somebody tweeted out to him, hey, Jocko... Uh, can't get into a gym, what do I do for exercise? He's like, put a towel down on the ground, do 500 burpees. And they're like, great, what do I do after I finish that? And he's like, if you can do another 500 more, then we need to talk. Yeah. Uh, but I just couldn't understand it. Some people were like, I can't lift up a dumbbell, I can't do any weights, uh, I can't exercise. I'm like, really? Okay. Um, so police officers aren't the best when it comes to sleep patterns, stress at work, family life, uh, which in the long run can have some adverse effects, as we've also spoken about. Um, can police officers, especially the male police officers, help themselves slow the hands of time down? And if so, what are, if I said to you, what are Sean Tag's key five things here for male cops? Because we both have said and we agree that male police officers will probably have more health problems than females. What are the key five things that they should be doing? Well, males in general, I guess. Males in general. Yeah. I'd say it's, it's not just a, a police-only yeah. demographic. Um, First of all, I would say, without a doubt, uh, getting out and doing your compliance-based health checks. Yep. Just book it in and get it done. It's yep. a transactional need to do. Yep. The second thing is to start to find happiness in the world you live in. Actually find the things that are good and, and, in, and, and that you enjoy and focus on them. Yep. Um, 
get some form of movement back because movement is essential for life. Yeah. Um, there's a statistic there, you know, more ma- males die earlier than females. Males also become more immobile at a younger age than mm. females. There's a reason why that correlation is there. Mm-hmm. Once you stop moving, you do cease to, to live. Yep. Um, so move often and move frequently. Um, get your nutrition right because that is going to massively improve your health outcomes later in life. And the other part to it, and this is something that males are really poor about, talk. Yeah. Talk about what's, what you're feeling and don't bottle it. Don't go to bed of a night without talking through what's worrying you with someone you trust. Yeah. Whether it's your partner, your, your family, your friends, because we are hopeless as a, as a group of explaining our emotions yeah. and we're too worried about what people are going to think and actually people will probably respect us more if we actually tell them what we're feeling is worrying us yeah it's weird that but I mean as you know I used to do stuff on TV for men's mental health and health and everything else and I always used to say to people look if I look at the guys that guys idolise John Rambo um, you know Sylvester Stallone in another movie Bruce Willis something else all of those action heroes that guys absolutely love and adore. So watch those movies, but watch it from a mental health perspective. And the like, yeah, I said, there is always a breakdown in there somewhere and then a rebuilding phase. So that then the action hero can come out and blaze or whatever they need to do, you know, score the winning goal or something else like that. And I'm like, but part of the reason they've actually achieved their goal is by being vulnerable, by talking to somebody or by hitting rock bottom and saying, I need to get through this. This is what I've got to put in place. But yet, as guys, we just can't do it on a one-to-one basis. It's just, it staggers me. It's, yeah, just bizarre. Um, There are lots of things that we could continue to talk about, but I'm not going to. Um, The last question I'm going to ask you is this. If I said to you, what's the one exercise I can get the biggest bang for my buck in? So, is it star jumps? Is it burpees? Is it something else? What would you say it is, and why? That's a, that's a really interesting one because I've got my own belief on yep. what I think it is. Yep. And it's probably not going to um, align with probably what the rest of the health world and fitness and exercise world is. Go on. For me, it's the chin-up. Yep. And I call it the bar of truth. Yep. Because if you don't get your chin over the bar, you haven't. Yep. But once you get one, then you work towards two. Once you get two, you work towards three and you keep going. But... It is one of those exercises, and it is very upper body dominant, but it's one of those exercises that once you get good at them, you're strong. Mm. Your upper body's strong. Yep. Um, yes, it, it doesn't marry with the, the belief of whole body movement and whole body um, uh, exercise, uh, but for me, it's always been the bar of truth. If you, if you can get one, you get two. You get two, you get three, and it's not easy to do. Yep. And see, for me, it's burpees, I just because I just... I like burpees because I'm low to the ground anyway to start off, so I don't have that high to get up. But I always figure if I can't do anything, I'll do five minutes with a burpees and I'm gone for all money. Because obviously as you get better at them, you speed up, you slow down, yeah, so all that type of stuff. Uh, it's been absolutely enlightening to all those police staff who are listening, particularly the males. Um, this month is Men's Health Month. Make sure you go and get a checkup. Uh, if you're not so good with your physical fitness, go and see any of your PTIs uh, at district level or go and see a physical trainer yourself and get into it and get started. Uh, like Sean and I both said, a 30 minute walk is a shitload better than nothing, isn't it? 
Yeah, right. Uh, and it's also a great place to start. Some of you may not be able to do what you did when you were 20. Newsflash, that's called Father Time. He's a bit of a bastard sometimes, but uh, keep pressing on and you'll do some amazing stuff. So thank you very much, Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Cappuccino Podcast. And hopefully we've tempted a few of our punters and listeners to get to the gym and get amongst it, as well as start looking after their mental health. Because let's be honest, like you've said before, uh, as men we're garbage at that and that's something that we need to improve so thank you been a pleasure mate cappuccino with constable brian real people real stories make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast